All right. So we're just going to review right quick, and then we'll uh, get on to the second page. But so in in Hosea, and for you know we have a couple people that haven't been here yet while we've been going through Hosea. Hosea is one of those minor prophets that it's kind of a doom and gloom book. And so if you want to be cheered up, you don't want to read Hosea. <laughs> but at the same time, in the middle of the doom and gloom, God always puts puts his his word in that he's going to restore. And so even when Israel is going down the tubes and everything they're doing is against God, God's going to judge them, but he also puts in there that he's going to restore them at some point. So uh, that that's good news. So uh, on the first page there it says review. God had a problem with Israel for there was no truth, there was no mercy, and there was no knowledge of God in the land. And so, I mean, that's pretty strong when God says that through his prophet. He said that there was no truth, no mercy, and no knowledge of God in the land. Not because they had never had these three, had these, but because they had rejected and forgotten them. So that's what goes in your blanks. So truth, mercy, and knowledge. And then they had rejected them and forgotten them. Now, does that sound like anything you've you've embraced here in the United States? Yes. It seems like the Word of God has been preached here. There has been mercy in this land. There has been the knowledge of God, but it's being rejected and it's being forgotten. Okay? So go ahead and turn over to Hosea. In fact, let me just read chapter 4 here. And then just so we can understand what's going on. And if you don't get some of the blanks, come up and ask me afterwards and I'll get them for you. Uh, Hosea chapter 4. And we're just going to start in verse 1. And it says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. So that's why God has a controversy with them. And that's His people. He goes, God goes, I have a problem with you guys because of this. And He goes, verse 2 says, By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. He's telling them what's taking place in the land. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. It is so bad in the land that the animals are feeling the consequences of the sin in the land. And we don't think about that, do we? You know, when 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 our land... When, when the United States are, are rejecting God and, and what I think they're doing right now is kind of going down the tubes a lot like the nation of Israel did with Hosea, do you think about it affecting the animals? Does my sin affect the animals around? Does my sin affect you know, my dog or my cat? Well, I tell you what, on the way here, did anybody see an animal ran over? I saw a bobcat ran over up by uh, uh, Richard Cabauer Air Force Base this morning. And I, I've seen bobcats up there, but I'm like, but you see that and you go, okay, so why are they ran over? 
and I don't want to say it's man's sin, but but it's because of man's inventions. But but that's that's not quite what I want to get at. The animals even groan because of the condition of the land that were because of them sinning against God. I, I don't think about that, but it says that here. Verse four says, "Yet let no man strive, nor reprove another, for thy people are as they that strive with the priest." Therefore, verse five. Shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. Okay. Uh, the mother there is basically the nation. Verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Okay, second time he said that. Because they have rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. So that's where I got the the fill in the blanks that we've had so far. Verse 7 says, As they were increased, so they sinned against me. As their economy increased, and as they got more and more things, they just forgot God. Again, does this sound familiar? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Therefore will I change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people, and they set their heart on iniquity. And there shall be like people like priests. And I will punish them for their ways, and reward them for their doings. You know, there's a lot of uh, TV preachers right now that pretty well just look like the world. You can't tell the difference between them and the people. I'm not mentioning names because I think you guys all probably know them, but I'm like, why in the world is anybody listening to these people? Because they're 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 tickling their ears and just giving them, you know, things that they want to hear instead of what the Word of God says. Verse 10, For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase, because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. My people ask counsel of their stocks, and their staff declareth unto them, for their spirit of whoredoms hath caused them to err, and they have gone a-whoring from under their God. I'm going to stop right there and kind of look through our handout again, again, to get us caught up. And again, I'm kind of reviewing what we did the last time we had here on the first page of the handout here. So Romans 15.4 tells us that we need to learn from the people in the Bible. Okay, so Adam and Eve, that goes in your blank there. And he, they disobeyed God's rule. Okay, Abel obeyed God while Cain disobeyed. And again, here's one when you have people go, well, why do why does bad things happen to good people? Well, the last I looked, Abel was a righteous man and he got killed. You know, sometimes, you know, there's like I said, there's been Baptists all the way down through history. And, and I don't want to just say, I'm putting Baptists kind of in a box, but they've been called by various names. They've been called Anabaptists, Waldenzies, uh, uh, all these names down through history. If you study them out, they basically believe the Bible. And they believe what it says. And they believe, you know, who Christ is. And, and basically the fundamentals of what this church believes. That is what I'm calling a Baptist here. And so, um, you know, they, they've been persecuted all the way through. And so, for doing what was right. Look at, look at the Apostle Paul. 
Was he a righteous man? And look at the things that happened to him. You know, just just because you're doing what's right doesn't mean you're not going to be persecuted. Okay? And again, this hits home. It, everybody says, oh, I don't want to read those minor prophets because that's old. You know, it doesn't re- refer to us. Look at the things that are going on in that nation and what's going on in our nation today. So how about Noah? Noah obeyed, goes in your blank. He obeyed God's word. So are we learning from these people? That's what I'm trying to point out. You know? Um, David sinned. David is a perfect example of, of what we should be. Now, David sinned. He, everybody wants to put David on a pedestal. But man, you look at this guy. He made some major blunders in his life. He had some major sins. He had a woman's... He committed adultery. He had her husband killed. There were several other things that he did. He didn't punish one of his children, which which caused when one of them killed another one. I mean, he did some major sin in his life, but there was one thing different about David. When he did sin, he'd go to God and ask for forgiveness. He'd do that First John 1, 9 that we need to do. And so, you know, people could look at, well, I don't want to put David on a pedestal. He's a murderer. Well, yeah, but what did he do? He went back and he repented and he asked God to forgive him. So David sinned and then he confessed his sins and asked for forgiveness. We need to learn from that. Okay? So when we sin, what do we need to do? First John 1 John 1.9 Confess our sins and, and he is just and faithful. How's that verse go? Okay, D1 verse. Okay. Alright. And then... The next bullet point says the Israelites in Hosea's day rejected and forgot God's words. When God's people reject and forget God's words, there's going to be a payday, and that payday is judgment. Okay. Today we need to trust and obey, obey God's word, and that is we should accept the gospel we should accept Christ's redemptions and walk in the Spirit. So if you want to learn anything that I said today and take it home with you, here's what we need to do. Accept God's salvation and walk in the Spirit. So what should a Christian do? Two things. They're real simple. Accept Christ as your Savior. Walk in the Spirit. That's it. That's simple, isn't it? <laughs> okay. It goes a lot more than that, right? I just tried to get it down as, as easy as I could. So if we would, and the next, it says in our handout, if we would run every decision that we have in our life through the Bible and through prayer, it would save us many problems. Amen. You know, man always has that. We, we already know that, you know, uh, the government can't do anything right, it seems like right now. But you know what? They're made up of men and women. And you know what? Sometimes we need to take a good look at our life and see what we're doing. So, uh, it's re- What's that? We as a whole. Well, we think we are, but I'm not even sure we're doing that. But okay. So Hosea 4, 11 through 19. Whoredom is defined in the context in verse 11. Let me read verse 11. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. But whoredom that it's talking about here in Hosea is idolatry. So all through the book of of Hosea, um, we've been seeing that. And at first, the first three chapters talked about Hosea was told to marry a prostitute by the name of Gomer. 
as a picture of what God was doing, what Israel was doing with God. So he, he basically tells Hosea the prophet. He goes, he tells Hosea, he goes, you're the prophet, but I want you to feel like I feel. So now you'll know how to talk to the people. I want you to marry a prostitute and see how it feels when she steps out on you. Because that's what Israel is doing to me. They are serving other gods. And he goes, when you feel that, you'll know how I feel. You know, have you ever, and I've, I've, I've said this a couple times in my life, or in my life, in this class, when you've had people just do something majorly against you, and it just brings you to your knees, and you stop and think, is this what God feels like when I sin against Him? And it really makes you wonder, wow, God really hurts when I sin against Him. You know, we don't think of it as a big deal, but it, it's personal to God. It really is, okay? So it talks about whoredom in this verse, but then it talked about wine and new wine. So wine is fermented, okay? New wine is what? It's grape juice, okay? And we went, about, we went through that the last time we were in here. So when Jesus was at the Last Supper, he talked about the grapes being right there and they just squished it right into the right into that chalice, you know, the one that's on uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. They're looking for that chalice. I I don't think they whatever cup he had, okay? And so uh yeah. So new wine is unfermented and over and over in the Bible I keep seeing it we are to stay away from wine because it takes it takes our approach away from being sober and it takes us away from God okay and so uh, so how can new wine and it also says new wine it says whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart okay so I understand how whoredom can take you away from from the Lord I understand how wine can take you now how can grape juice Take you away from God. That's what it says. Take you away from the heart. And basically, that we, we pointed out the last time we were here that that's just prosperity. When you have prosperity, you just seem to leave God in the dust because you don't need Him anymore. Okay? So, whoredom is explained. A, it says God's people ask counsel of their stocks. And so, again, stocks goes in your blank. And who can tell me what a stock is? Well, what's a stock? It's a tree stump. Okay, they were making an idol out of wooden, out of wooden trees. I like. You ever wonder where those totem poles they have in Alaska? What they were for? They're using them in idol worship. Okay. So that was where we left off last week. So now we're all caught up to speed. Okay. So on the second page, we're going to start here. And let's read the rest of it from verse 12 down to verse 19. And it says, My people, this is God speaking here, it says, ask counsel at their stocks, their wooden idols, and their staff declareth unto them. For the spirit of whoredoms, and again the whoredom here is idolatry, hath caused them to err, and they have gone a-whoring from under their God. They sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains, 
and burn incense upon the hills under the oaks and poplars and elms because the shadows thereof is good. Therefore your daughters shall commit whoredom and your spouses shall commit adultery. That's kind of sad. Verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom, nor your spouses when they commit adultery, for themselves are separated with whores, and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore thy people hath not... Therefore therefore the people that doth not understand shall fall. Though thou Israel play the harlot... Though Israel play the prostitute, yet though not Judah offend, at that point, we're talking about Hosea is to the ten northern tribes, and they're going in apostasy really quick. Within 30 years of Hosea, they are carried away captive into Assyria. But the southern kingdom of Judah goes about another 150 years roughly before they are full into idolatry and they're carried away by Nebuchadnezzar. So, so right here it says, Though thou Israel play the harlot, yet not Judah offend. In other words, Judah isn't doing it yet. And come not ye unto Gilgal, neither go you up to Beth Haven, nor swear the Lord liveth. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now, I've been reading that for a long time, and I'm like, I've had cattle, and I'm like, I never, I never talk about a backsliding heifer. Have you, have you, Barry? I mean, cows are just stupid, number one, all of them. And I don't know if a cows are any smarter than a heifer, but I don't know what the, the, the intention here is. But it says, as a backsliding heifer. It's likening the people of Israel to cows. Okay? How would you like to be compared to a cow? That's not a good deal, is it? Okay. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. We're going to look at that in a minute. In the middle of this going down the tubes, it talks about the Lord feeding them. And I'm like, what is going on here? But we'll look at that. Verse 17 says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Ephraim is one of the tribes in the northern kingdom that Hosea is speaking about. Let him alone. Their drink is sour. They have committed whoredom continually. Her rulers with shame do love. Give ye. Verse 19. The wind hath bound her up in her wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. So I titled this this message, or this lesson, is that God lets Israel run with the wind. He is finally done with him, and he takes his hands off of him, and he says, you know what? I can't control you, what you're doing. You can just do what you want to do. That's what's taking place in this chapter. So let's go back and look at your handout here. Because we left off with uh, uh, point B. It says, God's people ask counsel of their, their stocks. But then it says, and their staff. So staffs goes in your blank. So they're asking, the people are bowing down to to wooden tree stumps and they're also asking their staff for for help or for they're they're worshiping their staff so so what is a staff it's a rod okay so it's a rod is that a blank i think that's a a blank that you have so it's a it's a rod uh let's see staff goes on top um, so let's let's look at this for a minute. So we have staffs in the Bible, we have rods in the Bible, and we have a scepter. 
sure I get this right. Okay. So let's look at the difference between these. Okay, so a staff, what do you do with a staff, guys? Okay, you can use, well, you can use both of these actually kind of the same, right? You can use them to walk with. Also to guide the animals with. To guide livestock. Okay. Uh, let's see what else. Um, to, okay, for a weapon. The staff and the rod can kind of be interchanged. Now what, what about a scepter? What is a scepter? Usually only the kings have it yeah. to... It's basically the king's rod is what it is. It's, it's, it's made for a king or someone in authority. It's the king's... I don't. I guess it's his fancy staff. staff. <laughs> okay. It has jewels on it. Right. It, it's it's kind of got a diadem on it and all the jewels, and it's a special deal. So you'll see those up here. So you'll kind of see the differences. But basically, what are they? If we just bring it down to the bottom level, what are these things? Club. A what? Club. A club. Or here's what I'm looking for. It's a stick. Yeah. Okay. It's nothing more than a stick. So basically, the the uh, what was what did we have on the last sheet that we just looked at the tot- what I call their uh, the stocks. So you got these stocks, what I consider like a totem pole. So they're worshiping them, but they're also coming over and worshiping their their. There's their rods, their staffs. That's what it says. And so, um, you know, my wife and I, we were, we've been gone off and on for the last couple of weeks. And we were in Silver Dollar City. And uh, we were on the train. We did the train ride. And uh, in, have, how many of you have been on that train ride at Silver Dollar City? You have... Man, the rest of you have just not lived till you ride the train ride at Silver Dollar City. So anyway, you're you're out on this train ride and they stop and they have a guy who comes out and he's acting like you know he's he's a he's a robber and he, he he's out there in the woods and he has this he has a rod with him and he goes guys I I don't know if you figured out what I'm doing here but you know what this is and he holds this rod up and he goes you know what this is. And everybody's looking at him. He goes, this is a stick-up. Uh. <laughs> okay. So I was thinking about that. His, his rod was, his, it was a stick-up. But that's what it is. It's a stick. It's a wooden stick. So they are worshiping these, these, these items, whether it be a wooden idol they carved, or even if it's their walking stick, they started to worship it. They're putting their confidence in all that rather than in God. Right, and we look at that and you go, how bizarre is that? And it's like, well, you know, it's getting getting pretty bizarre. Okay, so this reminds me also, with Moses in the wilderness, he had a stick too, that he a certain stick. Turn over in your Bible to Numbers. Numbers chapter 21.
And we're going to start in verse 1. Let's see if I'm in the right spot. Numbers 21. And let's look at, I'm sorry, let's go to, let's go to start in verse 4 and go down to 9. And this is when they're in the wilderness, and it says, and Moses is leading the people, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God. Oh boy, that's not good. It just blows my mind. How can you go through all those plagues, all the things that you saw God do to, in Egypt, go across the Red Sea, see that parted, get out in the desert, and then start complaining against God? And it says, And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Ooh. God gave them the manna, right? And they're telling him, we hate that bread you're giving us, God. It's less filling. It's less filling. That's it. Okay. Verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses, and they said, We have sinned. Kind of sounds like Pharaoh at that point. And they said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Isn't that what Pharaoh would do after every time they would, they would have a plague? He'd call Moses in and he goes, You know, ask of your God to take that plague away. And as soon as they took the plague away, he went right back to doing what he was doing. Well, anyway, the people now are doing that. And Moses prayed for the people, it says, in the seven. Eight. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and he put it upon a pole. Now, I don't know what that pole's made of, but I bet you money it was probably wood. Okay? And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Okay? So, here they have this object, and it kind of, I don't quite understand why God put that, why he did it that direction, but I know they use that in the New Testament. And Jesus uses that, and he says, as Moses lifted up the pole in the wilderness, the serpent in the wilderness, so shall I be lifted up. So it was it was an example of what Christ was going to do. But let me show you what they did with this stick later on. Turn over in your Bible now to Second Kings. Second Kings chapter eighteen. And we're going to read one through four. Second Kings chapter 18. Okay. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And now Hezekiah is a good king. He's in, he's in the southern kingdom here. Verse 2 says, Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign. Is that too young for a king? Apparently not. He did a good job. And he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name also was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Now let me stop for a minute. He's in the southern kingdom. Every king in the northern kingdom went against God. Every one of them. 
every one. The only reason the southern kingdom didn't go into captivity because they had some kings that obeyed God. Okay, verse four says this is what Hezekiah did when he became king at age twenty-five. He removed the high places and he broke the images and he cut down the groves and he broke in pieces the bra- the brazen is that brazen 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 the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Why did he destroy it? For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Neshutin. My, my center reference says Neshutin means a piece of brass. So he's saying, guys, it's a chunk of brass on a pole. Why are you guys worshiping it? So he had it destroyed. That's what men do. They begin to worship the created more than they do the creator, right? And so, uh, but at, at this point in the northern kingdom, my point is, I'm trying to point out here, is the staffs and the rods, they are worshiping the wrong thing. They're worshiping a stick, okay? Point two, God's people teach their children to do wrong. We saw, we saw that back in Hosea, uh, verse 15 of chapter 4. Because it says, let me go back and look at that again, see if that's the right passage I need. Verse 14, let's back up to 14. It says, I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredoms, nor your spouses when they commit adultery, for themselves are separated. Verse 15 says, Though thou Israel play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend, and come not to Gilgal, neither go to Beth Haven, nor swear. So basically, it's talking about that people are teaching their children to worship idols too. Now, I don't know about you. You know, our children seem to mimic what we do. And, and the bad part is, a lot of times they mimic the bad things we're doing. I, I know when our son was young, I had to go to one of the grandfathers and say, I really need you to watch your language around Jeremy because he's picking up your language and that language was not good. Okay? And so our kids pick up things that we do. These people were teaching their kids how to worship idols and all the things that we've been talking about. And so I don't know about you, have you know, have you ever seen any of your kids pick up your bad habits? No. <laughs> there there was a dog that the people behind us had a had a dog. It was a miniature pincher. And I love dogs, but this dog I want to barbecue him. I mean he yip 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 constantly. They'd let him out of the house and he'd go to the fence and he would like march. He was a little marching like dog and he would go up and down the fence just yipping as long as he was outside, which was a lot. And I was about ready to shoot the dog. So I had this, I started calling this dog the Nazi dog because he was, he was like a military guy. He's marching. Well, it wasn't too long. Our daughter's probably about three, Hannah, and she goes, hey, that Nazi dog. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I got to stop. That won't be good if I guess she starts telling other people about this Nazi dog. We, you know. And I'm like, so our kids pick up our habits. We don't want them to pick up our bad habits, but we got to watch. But these people are teaching their kids bad habits, okay? And they pick it up. Yeah. 
And then it talks about in verse 15, it says, Though thou Israel play the harlot. And every time we see that harlot or prostitute, just put in idol worshiper, because that's what it's talking about. Yet not let Judah offend, and come not ye into Gilgal, neither go you up to Beth Haven, nor swear the Lord liveth. Well, let me give you a, a little instance why he puts in Gilgal and Beth Haven. Gilgal is where the te- or the people asked Samuel for a king. That was at Gilgal. Okay? And so, in Beth Haven was where Jeroboam set up a false idol. Do you know what that false idol was? Some of you guys know your Bible, your history. It was a golden calf that was set up at Beth Haven. Okay? And so, we don't have a lot of time to go, but I'm almost done. So, in Beth Haven, uh, Jeroboam sets his calf up. So I want you to go over to First Kings, because I want to show a, uh, an example here. First Kings, chapter eighteen. We have a principle that's going to be here, and I call it. Let me see if I'm in the right spot. First, uh, I'm sorry, Second Kings, chapter eighteen. Boy, I'm not in the right spot. I'm in 1 Kings. 2 Kings 18. And we're going to read 1 through 4. I'm sorry. We've already looked there, haven't we? I'm way ahead of myself. Okay. We need to go to 1 Kings chapter 12. I'm reading my wrong passage. Okay. 1 Kings chapter 12. We're going to see about Jeroboam. Where Jeroboam sets up this golden calf. And and so, Jeroboam is the first king of the northern, northern tribes. When Rehoboam, the son of, of Solomon, goes out and tells the people, he goes, I'm, uh, the people went to, to Rehoboam the son of Solomon, and he says, and how are you going to treat us being you're the king now? And he says, I'm going to treat you harder than my dad did. you know. And, and they rejected that. And so they rejected that and they, they formed their own group, the northern kingdom, and they got Jeroboam to be their king. Well, Jeroboam was given that by God but and given the instructions of what to do and Jeroboam went against every instruction that God gave him. He started off bad all the way at the beginning. Okay, So 1 Kings chapter 12, and we're going to pick it up in verse 25. So when Jeroboam becomes king, he says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, where in the northern side, right where Hosea is at. And he dwelt therein, and he went out from thence, and he built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom... The ten northern tribes return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Okay, so here's what he says. I'm the new king. We rebelled against Israel. We split Israel in two. We had a national split. 
he's the king in the northern kingdom. There's still, Rehoboam's still king in the southern kingdom. And he goes, if the people of the northern kingdom, which are under me, if they go back to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple, they'll get, they'll get in their heart where they're going there and they'll rebel against me and kill me. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay in control. That's what Jeroboam says. So here's what he does. Verse 28. Whereupon the king took counsel and he made two calves of gold. And he said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Hey guys, don't go to Jerusalem to the temple and worship. I just made a golden calf up here that you guys can stop here. It's a lot closer. You won't have to drive all the way down there. Okay. And he says, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now wait a minute. The people should have known who brought them up from Egypt. That wasn't this golden calf. But you know what? That's the same thing that Aaron said when they when he did the golden calf. When Moses was up on the mount, you know, the people started to rebel against Moses. And, and, and so Aaron said, bring all your earrings to me. And he put them in the fire. And the Bible actually says, he tells Moses, well, we threw the gold in the fire and out pop this golden calf just popped out man i don't know how it happened but it did but he but then he goes on to explain i'm sitting there reading that and i'm like aaron you're the priest how do you go how did you get there and then he says and this calf was he told the people this calf is the god that brought you out of egypt again same thing happening here it worked once. Well, it kind of worked once. They're doing it again. I call this the Jeroboam complex, which I think a lot of people have. Once people get into power, they will do anything to keep it. And if you look at all the communist countries in the world, when you've looked at people like Stalin, when you've looked at people like Hitler, when you've looked at people that control all these communist countries, they'll kill their own mother if they think she's a threat against them. I call that the, the Jeroboam complex. They'll do anything to keep their power. That's what he did. He blew it. He blew chance number one that God gave him. He blew several others. But so that took place in Bethel, Beth Haven. Okay. So um, Jeroboam was made king over the ten tribes that rebelled. He was given instructions by God, which he also rebelled. So the Bible talks about Bethel and Beth Haven basically intertwined so when you read that you'll see and you'll say okay so which one was it well let me tell you um beth haven is basically a suburb of bethel so they're they're right together okay so if you're reading that you'll you'll see that so it also says and i'm running out of time it says back in the in the book of hosea at the end of chapter four it talks about not to swear Verse 15, nor swear the Lord liveth. So he goes, the people, God's telling the people, he goes, I don't even want to hear you talk about my name because you're not even worshiping me. So I don't even want to hear that anymore. He goes, so don't even swear pretending that you're serving me when you're really not. So right in the middle of all this, in verse 16, Doom and gloom, right? You you have this verse. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. And then there's what behind that? A colon. A colon. What does a colon mean? And what follows explains what's before. 
Well, it's it's a little different than that. It well, it's a colon should be a complete break in the text. So you just switch subjects, basically. What goes on with a colon? So you have this doom and gloom, and all of a sudden you have this colon, and then it says, "Now the Lord will feed them, Israel." as a lamb in a large place. So you're reading this doom and gloom and right in the middle that you have this verse that says, the Lord's going to feed you. And you're like, what? what is that? Okay, so let's look at that just a little bit. Okay? What do you think the lamb represents in this verse? Jesus Christ. No, not yet. The people. Okay, because it's read this again. Verse 16 says, the last half says, Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. And you're probably right. It's more of a reference to Israel. And who's going to feed them? What's that verse say? The Lord will. And who is the Lord? He is a shepherd. This whole thing, it's giving you a prophecy that's going to take place. Okay? So. Uh, the Lamb represents God's people, and I can take you to Ezekiel 34, 5, and 6, if you write your notes. Um, and then uh, we're running out of time, so I'm not going to use it. But it talks about Israel being a sh- like sheep wandering out in the wilderness. But we also realize, what's the wilderness represent in the Bible? Israel wandering in the wilderness? Not the world. Well... It, it is in the world, but it's even farther than that. It's The wilderness is representing a tribulation period. Israel is out wandering in the wilderness, in, in the, in the uh, tribulation period, basically. And who's going to feed them? The Lord. Okay. And the Lord is the good shepherd. So he's given us a prophecy right here. And I'm hurrying through this. I wish I had a little more time. But he's given them a prophecy of restoration in the middle of the doom and gloom. He constantly does that through the book of Hosea. So a large place here could be, could be the world. It's an unenclosed place. And it can be a mountain. So where does God feed the nation of Israel during the tribulation? On a mountain, right? So Jesus will feed his people on a mountain in the tribulation. And that goes on into the millennium. Okay, and probably on into eternity if we're really looking about it. Okay, so in verses uh, nineteen, it just says in Hosea, it says, "The wind hath bound her up, Israel up in her wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices." So basically, God is letting Israel go, go to their go to do their evil ways, go to destruction, go go to be carried away in slavery by Assyria. And it reminds me of a passage in the Bible in Acts with Paul on Paul's voyage to Rome. In fact, let's turn there and we'll call it and we'll wrap it up with this passage. Acts chapter twenty seven. In Acts chapter twenty seven, Paul's on his way to Rome. And verse this start in verse six. Verse 6 of Acts 27. Okay? And there and there's a there's a ship change that takes place here. It says, And there and there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us thereon. Okay? 
And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon. And hardly passing it, we came into a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh where into the city of Lacia. And when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because of the fast was now already, already passed, Paul admonished them, and he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives." Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to to weather in, and more part advised did part thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenix and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete that lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. So now they went, okay, on this journey. But not long after there arose against it a temptress wind called Eur... How do we say that? Eurycladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. We let her run. So why did they let the ship go or run with the wind? Because they couldn't control it. They could not control it. Okay? The same thing happens with the northern kingdom of Israel. God could not control them. He gave them prophets. He gave them his word. He gave them the priests. He gave them everything they needed and yet they rebelled against him. So what does he do? In Hosea chapter 4 at the end, he lets them go. He goes, I'm done. You guys, you do what you want to do. Okay? I don't know about you, but I am so glad that God's not like that with me. I mean, that he keeps on, you know, he works on me, works on me till I do confess my whatever it is. And then he's ready with open arms to give me a big old hug. He doesn't let us run. That's a great object. God will not let his people when they're obeying him and since we're a Christian and we live in him and he lives in us he's not going to let us get by with that okay but here he does he just says okay guys I'm I'm gone so the wind has bound up Israel in her wings and your handout says God has let Israel run he's given up on her for the time being he's basically said okay I'm done God has let Israel go with the wind Israel was gone with the wind way before Scarlet O'Hara okay that word that word means um, a stormy wind from the north or northeast. Okay. Which caused the wind. So there is a point even, you know, we, 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 when people are just out there, we say, well, the, the guy, that person, they're in the wind. Right? Is that kind of a reference we use? The reference is Europe. Euro, Euroquadon or wherever you say that, that, that wind. The part? Yeah. It might be. I hadn't so looked at that. Stormy wind came out of Rome. Northeast of Had been. Jerusalem. Okay. <laughs> Rome would have been west, so it would have been a it would have been a and they were they were in the Mediterranean, so but but the wind the wind they couldn't control the ship, so the they went with the wind. Okay, so and you have a, a perfect example, Sharon, because you said, you know, are we 
Are we in the wind with God? How's your life? How's my life? Where are we at? Is God, are we right with God or has God kind of let us go? And He will not let us go. The Christian, He will not let go. Now, if you're lost, He lets you do whatever you're going to do. And He'll let the Christian do whatever they do to a point. Okay? So we need not to be like you know, Scarlet or Hera, the people back here. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap up and, and uh, uh, hopefully we're back to speed. I know some of you guys that haven't been here for the first three chapters, maybe I've been going kind of crazy and you haven't put everything together yet. And the rest of you kind of caught up, I think. So all over the book of Hosea, God is warning them and He's judging them. And actually the next few chapters are going to be doom and gloom. But in the middle of those doom and gloom chapters, He gives us some prophecies. That's why you keep reading through those books. So uh, so let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the history that we have uh, in your word, Lord, that shows us about your people that reject you and what happens to them. And Lord, help us, number one, to, to not reject your word, to not forget your word, but to be to be walking in the Spirit daily. So we pray for that. We pray for that for our church. We just ask, Lord, that you just guide us and direct us in that. And, and Lord, give us a good week this week. Uh, give us opportunities to get the gospel out to the people around us. And we just ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I've got an extra point question. Anybody know what year Gone with the Wind came out? The fall of 39 and the spring of 40, so I would have taken either one of those. But yeah, that's that's a little bit for my time too. So that's an old book. <laughs> okay. All right, so next week we'll start brand new chapter 5, and we'll go from there. I get this set in the, in the syllabus.